hear the screech. It grated on Monsignor O'Sullivan's nerves. It was enough to get him to his feet. He made his way to the restroom. Thankfully, it was empty. Yet he glanced under every stall to make certain. He set the portfolio at his feet, leaning it against his left leg. He removed his glasses and placed them on the corner of the sink. Then, avoiding his own blurred reflection, he waved his hands under the faucet. He closed his eyes and splashed water on his face, the cool dampness beginning to calm his nausea. His hands groped for the paper towel dispenser, ripping off more than he needed and gently dabbing. He hadn't even heard the bathroom door open. When he glanced in the mirror, Monsignor O'Sullivan was startled to see a blurred figure standing behind him. I'm almost finished, he said, thinking he might be in the way. He noticed a faint metallic odor. Perhaps it was a member of the cleaning crew, an impatient one at that. He reached for his glasses, accidentally knocking them to the floor. Before he could bend down to retrieve them, an arm came around his waist. All he saw was a glint of silver. Then he felt the burn, the streak of pain shooting up through his chest. At the same time, there was a whisper in his right ear, soft and gentle. You're already finished, Monsignor O'Sullivan. Washington, D.C. There was no easy way to pick up a human head. At least that's what Special Agent Maggie O'Dell had decided. She watched the scene below and sympathized with the young crime lab technician. Maggie wondered if that was exactly what he was thinking as he squatted in the mud, looking at it from yet another angle. Even Detective Julia Racine remained quiet, standing over him, unable to offer any of her regular advice. It was the quietest Maggie had ever seen the detective. Stan Wenhoff, chief medical examiner for the district, yelled down an instruction or two, but stayed beside Maggie on top of the embankment. Actually, Maggie was surprised to see Stan on a Friday afternoon, especially at the beginning of a holiday weekend. Normally, he would have sent one of his deputies— except that he wouldn't want to miss out on making headlines, and this case would certainly start making headlines now. Maggie looked beyond the riverbank, out at the water and the city on the other side. The district was preparing for the weekend festivities, expecting sunny skies and cooler-than-average temperatures. Not that she had any big plans beyond lounging in the backyard with Harvey. It was an absolutely beautiful summer day, except for the decapitated head someone had discarded on the muddy riverbank. What level of evil did it take to slice another person's head completely off and leave it like a piece of trash? Her friend, Gwen Patterson, accused her of having an obsession with evil. Maggie didn't look at it so much as an obsession as an age-old quest. She had decided long ago that it was part of her job to root out evil and destroy it. Finish going through the surrounding surface, Stan called down, then just scoop it up into a bag. Maggie glanced at Stan. Scoop it up? Easy for him to say from up here where his polished shoes were safe and the waft of death hadn't yet arrived. But even from above, Maggie could see it was a daunting task. The riverbank was littered with cans and discarded takeout containers and wrappers. She knew the area, this stretch under the overpass, well enough to know there were also cigarette butts, condoms, and a needle or two. The killer had taken a risk discarding the head in such a well-trafficked area. 
Ordinarily, Maggie would find herself assessing that risk as the killer's apparent disorganization. Taking risks could amount to simple panic. But since this was the third head to show up in the district in three weeks, Maggie knew this had little to do with panic and everything to do with the killer's twisted strategy. You mind if I come down and take a closer look? Maggie called down. Racine shrugged. Help yourself, she said. But she came to the bottom of the embankment and offered her arm for leverage. Maggie waved her off. She searched instead for anything, branches, rocks, roots, to hang on to. There was nothing but river mud and tall grass. She didn't have much choice but to slip and slide. Like a skier without poles, she tried to keep her balance, managing to stay on her feet, skidding past Racine, but stopping within inches of ending up in the Potomac. Racine shook her head, a slight smirk on her lips, but thankfully didn't say anything. Maggie didn't need to be reminded that perhaps she went a bit overboard when it came to Racine.